Hey, this is Graham, and I am so pumped you're joining us today. If you're a part of our Grace community, whether in person or online, we would love to connect with you on social media, at the Grace AG on all social outlets. But the best way to connect is to join our online community at live.graceassembly.org. Here, you can engage and connect with other Grace members all around the world. So, we hope today's message encourages and challenges you. Let's jump right in. I love it. Wow. Well, man, friends, it's always a privilege. Thank you so much for just a warm Indiana greeting, and it's always a fun time to be back at Grace, and uh, just so, so excited about what is happening at the church and the community. And man, you all have really phenomenal leaders in Pastor Wayne and Tracy Murray and their staff. Come on, would you just help me honor them and uh, bless them and be praying for them while they're out and getting rejuvenated. It's just always fun when your pastors get a chance to go and get away and connect. And uh, I love the series that we're starting uh, today on changing your world. And uh, it's, it was kind of a pressure cooker, to be honest, because I'm like, man, Pastor Wayne, you want me to start the series? Like, shouldn't you do that? You're the pastor. Like, but I, I appreciate just the honor and the trust that he has. And uh, super, super thrilled to share today's message. And before we jump in, man, I just want to also greet all of you who are watching online. Thanks for tuning in. This is a wonderful privilege to have you, and I hope you are buckled in, too, because it's going to be a great ride as we share God's word. And so, friends, um, can I be transparent? Okay, I heard this side of the room. I'm going to stay over here uh, today. This is the super saved people over there. I'm going to stay. I'm gonna <laughs> but, uh, you know, this week, as I, I kind of wrestled with this message, honestly, because as we're talking about this series, Changing Your World, you know, the opener is really highlighting the why of the motivation, the inspiration behind personal evangelism. And, you know, I'm a missionary evangelist. I get a chance to travel the world and share the gospel, and it's, it's an honor to do that. But uh, I was battling, like, man, this is such a practical message. I kind of get to go to a great church and share this message. And I'm like, God, people already know this stuff. And it was just a reminder to me that, no, they don't. That's why I called you. And I'm like, okay, all right. And so uh, this week, I was really praying for you and the people that I believe you're going to reach in the season of your life of just following Jesus. And I do want to warn you, this message is not, um, it's a, it'll be like some challenging things that I'm going to ask you to think about and reflect upon in your personal walk with Jesus for those of you that would ascribe to be followers of Christ. And I, I want to encourage you, and I want to inspire you. I don't like to motivate. This is why, because, I mean, if you're at work, you hire people, you fire people, you have leadership responsibility at work, maybe you're a parent or a soon-to-be parent, you don't want to motivate people. That means they're unmotivated or demotivated. Uh, that's just difficult. Uh, it's something about their work ethic and their grind that you really can't control, but you, it's good to inspire people. And this is a, a cool word because it basically means in spirit. And for us who are Christians, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And so I want to draw out what's already in your spirit. 
Does that make sense? I want to draw out what Jesus has called you to be already, friends. And I want to give you some insight into that as we jump into this text today and several texts. But I'm just kind of prefacing my message with some things that I'm really transparently sharing with you. You know, I'm really a tad bit concerned for us as the church because there's some things that I don't quite feel like we've, we've grasped in this particular age and time about humanity and its lostness and how Jesus Christ has came, how he came to redeem, that's a, that's a church word, let me unpack it for you, how he came to purchase back, how he came to be in right relationship with lost humankind. And, and you and I were once lost, but I often think, this is my concern, that we forget it. We forget the salvific moment, the salvation story that we've all experienced. And that story, it shaped 12 men and, and others that were disciples of Jesus, and it shaped them to their core so much that it changed the world. If it didn't, we wouldn't be sitting here today. And so, friends, I want you to know that that same story of, of broke, busted, and disgusted people like you and me. Don't forget that, right? We are. The Bible's full of them, of people that were flawed, insecure, angry, messed up, had issues, and, and, and they didn't forget it. And when they did, God had to remind them. Because we have to remember that, again, every one of us was in the same place at some point in time of our life. What do I mean? We were sinners in need of a savior. It's very simple. And the world that we live in is also sinful and evil and in need of a savior that we have the news about. And so today I'm gonna just be talking about this element of lostness. And my prayer, my goal for us today is that we'll get it that God would do something in our spirit man, in our hearts, that would bring us to a place of recognizing, Father, I was lost just like the people you've put around me, but now that I'm found through Christ, you need me to share this message of your story intertwined with my story in order to give people the hope that only Jesus can bring. So let me pray this morning and invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Father, I thank you for your word. And I pray for my friends that are here, that you would do something so supernatural in us today, that we would begin to understand in a greater way or in a fresh new way of who you are, who we are in spite of you, and who you're calling us to share this wonderful news with about your son, Jesus. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. While on a peaceful vacation in uh, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, it was a family that they went out for a swim and only to have their vacation shattered with this sense of lostness. While a group of vehicles and lifeguards and bystanders gathered around 
this 13-year-old girl who had been caught in this riptide, her 18-year-old cousin and her father had went out to try to save her, and the girl was rescued, but her father had suffered a severe, just a, a serious injury, which would actually cause him to die the following day. The 18-year-old, her cousin, he was missing, lost. The lifeguards formed this human chain walking through the pondering surf, searching urgently for this lost young man. Boats were launched out, and the search continued for hours, only to find that they got the command to stop the search because darkness had approached. The young man still lost. Two days later, they would find out that the lost young man's body was washed ashore some 15 miles away from where he had been last seen. I share this with you because, friends, just like the family was on this peaceful vacation, their vacation ended up being shattered by this sense of lostness. And I think in our time, in our day, in our age, Sometimes our peaceful Christian lives have to be reminded that the subculture that we often tend to create is not a reality. Let me say that again. The, 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 the peaceful lives we aspire to live as Christians sometimes has to be shattered by the reality of lostness because of the subculture that we're trying to create that's not reality. Subculture simply means that there's a culture inside of a culture that's being formed. And Christians, if we're not careful, will operate solely in the subculture. What do I mean by that? We have Christian music, Christian television, Christian radio artists, Christian clothes, Christian stores. We're creating subculture within the culture of lostness. And if we're not careful, we'll put ourselves underneath this bubble to protect us from the world that Jesus died for and is calling us to infiltrate, not isolate from. And so, friends, I want us to hear this today because my, my challenge and my encouragement to you at the beginning of this message is we have to understand God never called us to live in a subculture. God called us to be comrades that would infiltrate the culture, not to be isolated from it. And so, friends, I need us to understand that this word that we're going to talk about today, evangelism, is not a curse word. We often Think of two words in Christendom that are sometimes equated to curse words in our minds. That's fasting and prayer <laughs> and evangelism. No, 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 no. I need you to understand this word simply means good news about Christ's plan to save the world. That's what evangelism is. It's, it's the good news. It's the specific message that's to be proclaimed by people who have experienced this good news to continue to live on mission of Christ's plan to save the world. And friends, it is critical because apart from Christ, everyone is lost. 
Apart from Christ, every person in humanity is lost. Spiritually separated from God, if they die in that state, one day will be physically separated from God. And so I need us to understand today your personal evangelism, your personal story of how God helped you encounter his good news through Christ is God's primary plan to reach people. It's not from Pastor Wayne, which he's involved in it. It's not from Pastor Matthias, which he's involved in it. But it's the church at large. It's our personal witness, which we're going to talk about in a moment, in order to reach people that God wants to reach. And so let us just look at this word lost for a moment, because the lost describes a thing not used or claimed. A thing not used or claimed. And oftentimes this is a bad or negative connotation. This is a negative meaning. Sometimes people say, well, I'm not lost. Well, no, 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 no. What we mean is that you actually have value. Why? Because lost things have value. Lose your car keys and what? You'll find out. Lose your credit card and you'll find out. Lose your debit card and you'll find out. Things that are lost often have a lot of value. And what this is saying, this word in the original language, is that people are considered lost because they're not being used to their full potential of how God, the creator, created his creation. What it means is that people haven't been claimed back by the creator of the universe to be able to identify who he is and who they are in him and how they are to live and be as a result of his creation of them. So lostness means you have value. doesn't mean it's negative. And so Paul gives us an understanding in Romans 3.23 about this state of lostness, friends. He says, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.10 here says, there is none righteous, no, not one. But what it gives us an understanding of, church, is this. He's letting us know that God is righteous, meaning he's holy, he's perfect, he's just, he, 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 he's constant. He's always been. No one created him. He is the creator. He's always been in existence. And his personhood, his attributes are righteous. But it tells us that we as a people aren't righteous. Some people say, well, I'm a good person. I just give them the old school, oh, bless your heart. Because you're not a good person. The Bible says we're not. It says the heart, in Jeremiah, the heart is the most deceitful thing above all. Meaning not just our heart that beats, but our soul, our mind, our will, our intellect, how we make decisions, how we make actions, our attitude. It's deceitful. What, how do we know that? Because you don't even have to teach a baby to do wrong. It's just naturally innate in them. And this gives us this heart that's rebellious against God that leads us to what we're talking about that Paul says is not righteous. And it leads us to this thing called sin. And he says in Romans 3.23, for all. Uh, sometimes I just wish we could be reminded of that. 
You ever seen a video and it, it carries out one word? For, oh. I wish we could just remember that sometimes. For all have sinned. This lets us know our baseline. This is where we all started with Jesus. We were sinners lost on our way, separated from him to a place called hell, and we needed a Savior to forgive us of our sins and bring us into right relationship with God the Father. And so it lets us know, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, what does this mean? If there was a bullseye in the back and I would hit it right in between our camera crew, and if I would aim every time, I would more than likely miss the mark. Why? Because I'm not righteous. Because I've sinned. My nature wouldn't even let me do that. It doesn't matter how much I've trained. I couldn't hit a bullseye every single time. doesn't matter. I could, be, I could have trained for years as an archer and hit three or four, but 10 out of 10, never. Because there's just something in my body, in my human anatomy, that just wouldn't let me do that. And this is Paul giving us an understanding. For everyone has sinned. We're not righteous in our own nature, and therefore we fall short of God's standard of holiness. So that makes us pretty depleted. We can't match up to his standard. That's a problem. What are we to do about it? What are we to do about this lostness? He goes on to tell us in Romans 6.23 that the sin, he describes it as wages. He says, for the wages of sin is death. Now, the other side of that, and I'm going to explain it in a moment, is for the gift of God is eternal life. But I want you to see the bad news. You see, we, most of us have a job. If you don't, because of COVID, you may have drawn unemployment or something like that. But typically when you work, you have wages that you've agreed to. Either I get paid an hourly wage or I get paid a salary. And based upon the objectives that I've completed, my time through the week that's been asked of me, I better have my money in the bank. Amen? If not, we got a problem. <laughs> Bottom line. So Paul said, he, we see this in, in our natural state. When I work, I expect what I work for. But here he's saying, when you work for sin, you get death. The, the, the consequences of the sin that we live in before Christ, the consequence of that is death. That's eternal separation from God spiritually. Why do we know that? Because the Bible says God is spirit. That's how he saves us, through our spirit. We want to see that in just a moment. Our spirit is dead before Christ because of sin. But then God, who gives us life through the gift of Jesus Christ, it's the contrast. You see, that other side of that scripture, but the gift of God is eternal life. It's a contrast between life and death. Sin brings death, destruction. Christ brings life through God. And friends, I want you to see this here. That's the good news. He's letting us know what you do deserve is death. But I'm going to give you something called mercy, and I'm going to give you what you do. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not going to give you what you do deserve. This is mercy. 
But grace is, I'm going to give you what you don't deserve. Let me say that again for some of you. Mercy is, I'm not going to give you what you do deserve. But grace is, I'm going to give you what you don't deserve. And so God here is showing his mercy, saying, you deserve death, but through Christ, I'm going to give you life. And friends, I, I need you to understand this today because lostness is caused by this problem of sin, and it leads to death. And I want to help you understand today, if you don't believe in it, you may have forgotten about it. Hell is real. You don't tend to talk about some of these things in church today, but I'm just in the book. Hell is a real place that's been created for Satan and his angels. Read Matthew chapter 24. It was never created for human beings. Why? Because God never would want what he created to be destroyed. Never would have wanted that. But the enemy's plan is to deceive you and help you to continue to live in sin, continue separating you from God, continue to have you in bondage to the things in your life so that one day when you finally do expire physically, not only will you spiritually separate it from him, but you'll be eternally physically separated from him in the place called hell. That's the book. And so, friends, this lostness, we have to understand it because this is the sole reason why Jesus came. This is the very reason why God sent Jesus incarnately to live among people and dwell among them so that he can show them the visible form of the invisible God. And Colossians tells us everything was made for him, by him, through him. Nothing was made without him. It's all because of Jesus. This is why he came, because the world was lost. And it reminds me, that I once was lost. I'm hoping to remind you that you once were lost. And if it had not been for Jesus, you'd still be lost. I want us to look at this key passage in Ephesians chapter 2. And it starts in, in verse 1. And I love this. It says, and you were, Paul's talking to this church in Ephesus. He planted this church. And he's reminding them as he sends this letter to them, and he says, and you were being previously dead. <laughs> I love that. That just gives me a real reality of who I really was. He says, you were dead. You see, friends, I always ask God to remind me, God, never, ever, 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 ever let me forget that I was dead. Amen. Let me be so alive in you so people would ask, what is it about you? And I can tell them, man, did you know I was dead? That's a good evangelism starter, isn't it? It's really? What happened? Let me tell you. He says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin, meaning your transgressions of you sinning against God, not walking the way he's created you to walk. You were dead because of these trespasses and sin in which you once walked following the course of this world. Give such vivid expression. 
dead in your trespasses and sin, and because of that sin, you walked a certain way. You lived a certain way. You talked a certain way. You thought a certain way. And he lets us know. Following who? The devil. He's called the prince of the power of the air. That's another name for Satan. And it goes on to say this. And we're by nature children of wrath. That means God is going to punish you because of the way you walked due to your transgressions or your trespasses and sin, which is opposing his will and his plan. And it goes on and you'll see it. But God, there's this change Paul lets them know you were living ugly in sin, lost, disobedience, following the devil into your flesh and your lust of your passions. And God, but him, if it wasn't the but moment in your life, you'd still be lost, you'd still be dead. Friends, I just need to remind you one moment, we have to remember the former before we can always just live in the present. Sometimes we want to live so much in the present in the but God, but we forget why there was a but God. And Paul lets them know, listen, listen to these words and phrases that reflect lostness. He talks about dead and trespasses and sin. He talks about disobedient. He talks about the lust of the flesh. And he talks about children of wrath. He lets the church of Ephesus know. You guys were broke, busted, and disgusted. And if it wasn't for God, who is rich in mercy, remember mercy, he didn't give you what you should have gotten. If it wasn't for God, who wasn't rich in mercy, you still were broke, busted, and disgusted. But now you're blessed. Now you're sons and daughters. And so, friends, I need us to understand this lostness, because that brings us to the importance of Jesus. That brings us to the importance of Jesus. You see, the cross for Jesus, sometimes we wear it on our necks, but we don't understand what it truly means. In the Jewish culture, it was a curse to have been placed upon a cross. In the Roman culture, it was the worst form of death to be crucified. It was shame. That's why the scripture tells us for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. That's because he saw you and me. That's why he endured it. He saw our lostness, and he saw that he was the only person, God himself, through Jesus Christ, that could live a life that you never could have lived. You could not meet or reach the righteous standard of God because we all fall short. And he saw that you never could have lived that life, so he lived it. And he saw that there was a death that you should have died, but you, you couldn't have died it because you couldn't live the life. So therefore, he also died it, and he took your place and my place in, instead of you and me. And friends, and so I want to let you know it was the cross where he paid the sin with his life and his bloodshed. It was the grave that he overcame death that we all should have died and may one day still have to die, but through Christ, when he comes back, we'll come back to be with him. And friends, this is the good news. This is why Jesus came, because the lost cannot be found without him. 
cannot be found without him. The original of the name. Ah, gosh, can I say this? The original other name given among men by heaven from which we must be saved but at the name of Jesus. He is the only name. Enter into ye the narrow gate for broad is the way to destruction but the narrow gate is the way to life. There is no other way to God the Father but through Jesus Christ. There's no other way. And we as the church, we must believe that. Because how we live is predicated on how we believe. And so I'm challenging and encouraging some of you today that some of you haven't been living by what you say you believe. And I don't come to beat you down. I don't come to shame you. I come really to wake you up. To rise, O sleeper, as the scripture says. Arise, O sleeper, because the dawn is drawn near. Friends, we have to understand that Christ has already accomplished the work that just needs to be received and proclaimed by his church. We are the church. If this building were to fall, you could still have service. That's why I love going to countries like Asia or continents like Asia and Africa. Because they don't need a building to have church. They don't need a building to worship God in song. They don't need a building to have programs to get people to. Jesus didn't work through programs, friend. He worked through people. Programs are great, but we need people moving, doing the work of Jesus. So you may ask me, well, what, what, okay, well, I get all that. So why is evangelism so important? I'm so glad you asked. I want to give you two things. One, because of the lostness of humankind. Remember that evangelism is the good news about Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection that gives us an opportunity to put our trust in him and become new creations, having him forgive us of our sin, of our shame, of our guilt, and making us new people in him. So evangelism is important because you have to recognize the lostness of humanity. But the other thing I would say is through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, friends, humankind has actually had the opportunity to be found. We don't no longer have to be lost because Jesus has come searching for us. God has sent him on mission. And yes, he died. Yes, he rose. Yes, he's now back with the Father. But he's praying with you and me in heaven, interceding for you and me, saying, come on, church. I died for you. I gave myself for you. I'm sending my spirit for you. I'm for you. I'm with you. You can do it. You can share about me. I'll give you boldness. I'll give you courage. I'll be with you no matter how difficult it is. I'll be with you if your boss chooses to fire you. I'll be with you if the students don't like you. I'm with you. Why? Because I died for you. I rose for you, and I want to give you life, life more abundantly. And friends, evangelism is the very message, the victorious message about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. It's a good message. Good news never comes before bad. The lostness of humanity is the bad news. It's the condition we've gotten ourselves into. 
And it's also the condition we can't get ourselves out of. But Jesus has done that through his work on the cross. He's done it through the grave and his resurrection. And so it's the message that we can victoriously tell people that are lost and give them an opportunity to know Christ. And so how, how can this happen? How can this happen? Let me help you. Let me help you. Let's look at Acts 1 and 8 really quickly. Let's look at Acts 1 and 8. I want to look at Acts 1 and 8. We're doing great. Y'all having a good time? Come on. Yeah, I love it. If you weren't, it's okay. I am. I am. I am. I'm having a good time. Uh, uh, Acts 1 and 8. Look, listen to this. It says, but, so Jesus, let me, let me set you up to understand. The Gospels give an account of his resurrection. Matthew, Mark, and Luke really give a, a good account of Jesus' resurrection, meaning when he came back from this torturing crucifixion. Okay, so now he's alive, and the disciples who are being knuckleheads like many of us, they don't believe him. And so Jesus has to spend about 40 days with them, teaching them about the mission of God through sharing the message of evangelism and the power of the Holy Spirit, how he's going to be with them. And this is really the final words of Jesus in the historicity of the Bible. It tells us he's with the disciples in Luke, who also wrote the book of Acts. It's a compilation book, but it's split by our Western scholars. But it's really a whole book together. And so Luke, he, he writes in Acts, Jesus' last words before he ascends to go back to heaven to be with God. Remember, I told you, he's there interceding now. He's praying for us. He's rooting us on. And so this is right before he goes back to be with God. And it says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be. Be. Can you say that word with me? Be. This is, this is good. I want to unpack this for you. You will be my witnesses. Now catch what Jesus says here. He says, guys, I'm getting ready to go back. He's talking even with some of the ladies because it was an upper room thing and they had 120 people. And just think about all the people that Jesus reached and only 120 of them were in the room. Interesting, huh? And he's talking to them and said, hey, guys, hey, girls, I'm getting ready to go back, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit, he is going to come upon you. He's going to be working through you and in you. And he's told them in the book of John that the Holy Spirit's purpose is to exist and glorify Jesus. So it was almost like this. As the disciples went and preached and proclaimed and personally evangelized Jesus, he gave them this promise, I'll be with you, and I'll even confirm what you're saying with signs and wonders. Okay, this is what he told them. But you're not going to do it on your own. You're going to do it through the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I like to say it this way. God the Father establishes the will of God. He's the creator. God the Son, he's the word of God. He came to live out God's will and, and, and function as the living, visible form of the invisible God. Okay, then he said, I'm not going to leave you there. I'm going to send my, my buddy, the Holy Spirit, so that... He can continue to do the work of God, which will confirm the word of God, and it will accomplish the will of God. Okay, so the Holy Spirit's very important when it comes to personal evangelism. We see that because Jesus lets them know, don't go without the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send him to work through you and to be upon you because as you share my message, he will, he will manifest himself and bring glory to me. This is why people were so confused when the disciples preached and miracles happened. Because they only remembered in those days it happened because Jesus, that Nazareth guy, 
was alive doing crazy stuff. So how could this be when we seen him crucified? What was he saying? The Holy Spirit's going to continue to carry out my work through the people that follow me. And so, friends, he was saying to them, you're going to be a witness. Be is the, is, is, is the word, the prefix of being, being. It means who you are in your nature, in your essence, in your core. It's based on your belief. This is why I said to you, what you believe or what you be, how you behave is solely predicated on what you believe. This is why Jesus had to address the disciples and rebuke them before they went on mission because they didn't believe that he had come back. And he said, what are you doing? I've told you about this. I've, I've, I've lived three and a half years telling you about this message. you got to believe this at the core of your being. It's got to be in you because if you don't believe, you won't behave. That's what he was helping them to understand. And I'm sending you on mission, and this message that I'm sending you with, you got to believe it at the core of who you are. Why? Not because I told you, but because how you experienced it. It changed you. And friends, this is the thing that I'm challenging you on today. If the gospel has changed you, you ought to believe it. And it ought to lead you to living on mission and being behaving as witnesses. And so if you're not there, you got to rewind and get a reconviction and a belief about what Jesus did in you and wants to do through you. And so he tells the disciples, I'm going to send you to be witnesses. What is a witness? You know, in, in the court, they, they would say, place your hand on the Bible. Do you promise to tell the Lord, you don't know God. They would say it so quick, right? They're like, what did you say? Do you probably say, oh, do, 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 I was like, are you speaking in tongues, God? Come on. I said, do you promise to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth to help you, God? What they were asking is, the judge was saying, I'm bringing you on the stand as a solemn witness. And all I need you to do is tell me what you have seen and or what you have heard. I don't need you to talk about theory. I don't need you to talk in an area that you don't have any expertise in. I need you to stay in your lane and just tell me what you've seen and an experience that had helped this case or not. And friends, I look at that and I'm saying, so simple. Why? Because Jesus is asking us as followers of him, all I need you to do is tell other people about what you've seen and or heard me do in your life. That's a witness. That's what he said. All I need you to do, friends, is tell people what you have experienced about me and how I have changed your life. And that's why the disciples in Acts chapter 4, days after Jesus goes back to be with his father, they're preaching, and there's a religious group of church people, <laughs> which are like some of us. And they were saying, well, you shouldn't be around here talking about this monotheistic God. Mono means one theistic God. They preached one God in the culture that was poly, meaning several or many, theism meaning God. They preached one God, Jesus Christ, and Lord and Savior in a culture that had many gods. 
And so these religious leaders of that day, they were like, hold on, you can't be talking about this stuff. The Messiah, he hasn't come back yet. They were lost too. And they said, you can't talk about Jesus anymore. Don't, 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 don't preach this stuff. It's messing us up. And I want you to hear what the disciples said in Acts chapter 4, verse 20. They said, we cannot help but to speak about the things we've seen and heard. This is what men and women who had been with Jesus said as a result of the fear that was trying to be put in them not to share the message to reach the lost. This is what they responded and they could have been persecuted, they could have been killed, they could have been beaten, but they chose not to at that moment because it was so evident that Jesus had done something. They didn't know how to describe it. Religious leaders were clueless. But I hear the disciples saying, friend, I hear you. I hear you talking, but I ain't listening. Because I can't help but to speak about what I've seen and I heard Jesus do. I, I, I was with him. I walked with him. We slept together, we ate together, we lived among each other as a community, as a band of brothers. I seen them heal blind eyes. I seen them raise Lazarus from the dead. I seen them stop a woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years when the doctor couldn't heal her, when a psychiatrist couldn't heal her. I seen them stop this issue of blood. I seen them stop a funeral procession and raise the young man up from the dead. I seen them do these things. Church, what am I saying to you? Have you seen Jesus do something in your life? If if you have, then you are a witness. You are a witness. That's what he's called you to be. You're not at your job to work, gain vacation, and rack up on your 413B matching fund. You're there because he's called you to be a witness. You're not at your school or university or college because you wanted an academia future and this school would set you up for that. You're there because he's called you to live on mission and be a witness. You're not in your nice house or your community because you like the neighborhood and it's good for your kids to want to go to school and a good education. I get all that. But you're there to be a witness. You're there to live on mission. Evangelism, friend, is the central activity of what we need to do to live on mission. And so if we're not sharing our faith, if we're not loving people the way Christ loves, if we're not doing out of our being as witnesses, you got to ask yourself, am I living on mission? Am I living on mission? Some of you are so unfulfilled in your life, it's because you're disconnected from mission. As a Christian, mission is what brings us joy. Mission is what helps grows our faith. You don't think they grew in the Bible? <laughs> Paul being stoned, left for dead, Peter being beaten, ridiculed, going to the next city to preach the gospel. Oh yeah, they suffered. But Jesus said, count it great if you suffer for my name. He says, greater is he in you that's in you than he that's in the world. Friends, if I could help you 
know anything today is if you're going to understand how God wants to use your life, you're going to understand how every person, whether an inventor, an athlete, a Bible character, helped change the world. I give you one application a day, and that's the word conviction. Most of you have a conviction for a lot of stuff. I was sad in 2020 because I seen the conviction of a lot of church people not be the conviction of the gospel. It bothered me. In my prayer and fasting moments, I prayed, God, get us back on track. Help us to keep our eyes focused on you, on what you want to do through us. Because all the other things in the world is temporal, but a soul is eternal. That's why Paul told him, church, don't focus on the temporal things that won't last. Focus on the eternal things that matter, the people in your community matter, the family in your, in, in your heritage matters, the friends that you have or you need to build friendships with, they matter. The colleagues that you work with, they matter. Let me help you really quickly. I want to show you something on the screen. Let's start with that first me, that me, that me, that me slide. Today what I'm sharing with you is it starts with you. If you've come to Christ and you know him, awesome. But now you got to move beyond you. Typically, that's your family. How many of you have someone in your family that's lost? Just by a show of hands. Right on. Most of us. And it goes from me to my family. And so from my family, the Bible has so many stories of families, whole families coming to Christ because of the gospel. And so when it moves from me to family, Come on, show that one. It goes from family to friend. You know, the statistics tell us today, unfortunately, many of us as Christians don't have unsaved friends. You know why? Because we live in a subculture. How can we reach our friends? Get out of our subculture. Live amongst them. That's what Jesus did. Right? And so now I move from family to friends, and then as I move from family to friends, I have to begin to think about my colleagues. You go to work every day. Some of you have been there for years. You've never shared Jesus with a colleague. When you get to heaven, Jesus will ask you. He'll ask you. He'll ask you. So how can we impact our world? It starts with me. It moves from me to family. It moves from family to my friends. Who do, who, who do I have as friends? If I don't have any friends, I got to begin to go and live among people to develop friendships. I got to begin to love people for who they are. Watch this. Not what they do. Well, I don't like that this LGBTQIA thing, I don't care and Jesus doesn't care. What he cares about is them who they are. We get so stuck on the behaviors of what people do, but he can't change what they do unless he changes who they are. That's what Jesus does, just like you and me. So we got to help him, help them understand and love them for who they are. And then it moves our community. 
Friends, this is how Jesus changed the world. Started with 12 men, and then it reached to their families, and then it went to their friends, and then it went from their friends to their associates, the people that they worked with, people in the marketplace, colleagues that became Apollos and Aquila and Priscilla, and then it moved to communities, and it spread to the world. It's the same thing Jesus wants to do now. And so this is what we're getting ready to do. We're getting ready to close our time. And I know that there are some of you here that you need to give your life to Jesus. Or maybe you're watching online and you need to do that. I'm going to get ready to invite Pastor Matias back up and he's going to help you how to connect. But while he's doing that, when he concludes, I'm going to come back and we're going to have time at the altar. I love times at the altar. Because this is basically a place where we come and we say, God, I'm dying to me. Pastor Stephen was talking about sacrifice, right? God, I'm sacrificing me. I'm sacrificing my comfort. I'm sacrificing my world. I'm sacrificing my life to say, God, will you just help me to understand the severity of lost people? And will you help me to share my story with your story of how I can reach people at my school, how I can reach people in my community, how I can reach my friends, how I can reach my colleagues and my boss and my associates, how I can reach people for the good news. If you enjoyed today's message, I want to encourage you to like it and share it online or jump on the website at graceassembly.org and click the giving link so that we can continue to spread the message of Jesus all around the world. Have a blessed day and we'll see you next week.